So this morning, we're on this journey of just kind of unpacking vision and values. And, and so the last couple of weeks, I've really been talking about how it's quite simple. Our vision and our, our whole direction of what we're doing as a house is just one simple thing. Let's just look at Jesus. We just want to behold Him. We want to minister to Him. We want to love Him because everything flows from that place. And if we do anything in this house outside of that place, it's not what He's building. And so I just have no desire. And as an eldership team, we have no desire to build anything in this house that's outside of Him. And so really, you know, we're gonna, there's, there's so many things that, that will come from this and expressions, but I just feel like again and again, the Lord just keeps emphasizing it's not the methods, it's the man. <laughs> Don't get caught up in the methods, get caught up and captured and wrapped up in the man. Because when you're in Him, He can do anything and you're willing and available. Are you with me? I feel like that's where He wants His church. He wants His church looking at Him, loving Him, beholding Him. And this morning, I just feel the pleasure of the Lord. I was sitting here and... I'm just, I'm going, man, we're, I'm in a room full of people who deeply love Jesus, and G- Jesus deeply loves you. And, and after what I shared this morning, I, I pray um, to those that were in the session with me yesterday, sorry, you're going to hear the same thing, but I'm just going to share something, and I believe that what's going to happen is it's just going to begin to shift something in your heart where your heart becomes free to receive. Because what happens is, I don't know if you've noticed this specifically in this last season, is when we have these times of worship, I feel the invitation and the pull of the Lord, and we begin to go somewhere, and we go like, I don't actually know what to do with this. <laughs> you know when it goes past the song? Like when you're singing the song, and it's beautiful, and then suddenly something shifts in the room, and you go like, whoa, what is that? And then it's weird, because those who don't live in the grace of God, understanding it, don't worry, I'll, I'll explain it, but when we're not living in the grace of God, then when we get to those moments, we become introspective. <laughs> And so suddenly you can feel it's like we were singing worthy and everybody's there and then the glory of the Lord comes and everyone's like, whoa, hold on, I don't know if I'm meant to be here. Oh, now I'm thinking about I raise my voice at my wife or I kick the cat or I, you know, you know, sure. Do you get what I'm saying? Suddenly we begin to look at those things and then we, we, we let those things become hindrances to come into that deeper place with the Lord. And in this time... Over these last couple of sessions, the Lord spoke to me this weekend, and He said, the only reason why we don't go into the more is because we don't know how to receive more. You see, we think that to go into the more of God, we need to give Him more. And so when we get to that place, you kind of go like, I don't know what more I can give God. And God's going like, I'm not looking for that. I'm asking you to receive me. Because... The th- funny thing is, we're asking for more of God, and yet we think that means give more of me. But when we're asking for more of the Lord, actually what we're saying is, Lord, I want to receive you. Are, are you with me? And so you can. You can have, you can have the grace of God on, on your lips and, and a legalistic heart. And uh, my dad said something this morning when we were just processing this. He said something so powerful. He said, you know, with COVID... It's funny how the culture that COVID's brought along with it, and I, I understand it's a real pandemic, and so don't get me wrong, but the culture that came with it, separate to the actual thing, the culture that's come with it, it's a pretty legalistic culture, actually. It's a very controlling, legalistic, dominating culture that wants to control your life. And I realized over this weekend how we have let that culture speak into the reality of our church, not just 24-7, I mean, I mean, you know, the, the church in South Africa or across the globe, how we've let that thing come in, and suddenly we might not be talking about COVID, but there's this legalism thing that's creeping into our message. And, uh, and so here's the thing, right? I realize that I'm hearing it a lot all over the place, not just this conference, that's not what I mean, but, but I'm hearing 
how when legalism creeps in, we, we preach the promise of, of the finished work of Jesus and what He's given to us. And we say, God has given you everything. You're holy because He's holy. And you can have all that He has for you. Just, hey, just sort out your stuff. <laughs> just deal with, don't forget, deal with, that, deal with that junk, eh? Holiness. Be clean. And it's funny because I think it, it's left the church in this place of like, Okay, Lord, I really, I really want the promise of what you've said that's mine. That you, and we sing the songs and we woo and we amen it and whatever. And then when it's time to go there, what's in the back of our heads is, but wait, I don't know if I've sorted this out. And I, that might be many different things for you in your life. It can be situations, circumstances. It can be struggles, addictions, sin, whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but it's like whatever that junk is, it's like it's, it's got too much of a voice. In fact, it, it's not supposed to have a voice at all. And then, you know, you preach the message of grace and you begin to share these things and people will say to you, um, oh, but you, you know, you're making light of sin. <laughs> and I go, I, I just, I, I, I struggle, I don't understand that because the reality is the people who are telling us that we're making light of sin are the ones who are looking at it all the time. So I go, no, actually, we're not making light of sin. Like, we're letting the finished work of Jesus deal with it. But actually, when, when, you're, when you're, you're looking at sin all the time, it's like, actually, you, you've, you, you've emphasized something that Jesus seemed to take the emphasis off of, and then the moment that you take the emphasis off of that, suddenly you're preaching a false gospel. And I go, I, I just, I'm, I'm confused with how we got there. Because the reality is what Jesus paid for, and the, the Bible's full of this, and if you have your Bibles, go to Romans 6. Did I say that? Go to Romans 6 if you can. That would be great. Um, because I find this so interesting, all right? Romans is Paul, he, he writes to, um, to the Romans and, and he has this desire to go there. And I love, Romans is basically like Paul's message. It's like, he, like, he knows he can't get to, to Rome right now, so I'm going to write the gospel for you in a letter and I'm going to send that. And I, my desire is to come to you, but, but here it is, right? So if you read Romans, if you need, like, if someone needs to understand the gospel, just get them to read Romans. It's so thorough. I love it. And so you see the first five chapters, Paul talks about unbelief and he talks about how there's nobody who, who is right before God. Everybody falls short of His glory, right? He just puts it out there. It's like clear as day. I don't care how good you think you're doing, how well you think you're doing, you just don't make the mark, right? And then he gets to chapter 5 and he begins to talk about how, you know, we have peace with God. And it's through Jesus. And that you didn't earn this thing. It's, you're justified by faith. And suddenly you begin to go like, whoa, this is crazy that He's just giving me righteousness, I didn't earn it. I didn't, he just gave it to me. He just gave me peace with God. And it's so good. And here's the thing about grace. You know, people go like, hey, don't preach hyper grace. And I just want to go like, what is that? Because I think there's either the, a false gospel or there's the grace of God. And the grace of God, it is hyper. <laughs> it's, it's outrageous. It's wild. It's extravagant. It's abundant. It's so, the grace of God is meant to be so ridiculously good that it seems too good to be true. And if it's not provoking that in your heart, it's not the gospel. It's got to get to that place where you just go like, no way. I'm reading the Bible, no way. We should be hearing Christians in their, in their closets, no way. Right? It's got to be that good. And we lose, we lose the flow of the living waters in our secret place when we stop preaching or hearing or receiving this message of the gospel. When now it's about me straining to prove something to God, suddenly it's the wrong kind of groaning. Right? 
And so Paul, he's got this place, he's communicating this, and he gets to chapter 6, verse 1. Now remember, he didn't write this in chapters. We put it into chapters and verses so we can find things in the Bible. But he's just writing this as a letter. So he's sharing chapter 5 and all that we get in Jesus, and he gets to chapter 6, verse 1, and he asks this question, What shall we say to all of this? I'm reading out of the Amplified. Should we continue in sin and practice sin as a habit so that God's gift of grace may increase and overflow? Do you see what, do you see what Paul's saying here? Paul's going, the, the point of this glorious gospel is that it should provoke, it's so good that it should provoke this question in you. Does that mean I can sin? And man, this makes religious people uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I said this at the conference. I was like, I, I saw it and I saw it on faces where he starts to like freak out. And I love it. I love it so much because you know what? I, I said this yesterday. I said, I'd rather people get angry with my face but fall in love with his face. And, and here's the thing, we've got to preach this gospel so that it begins to challenge people's hearts. Because what happens is, here's Paul, and he's going, hold on, it should cause you to ask this question. It's so good, it should make you say, hold on, does that mean I can just sin? And actually, should I sin so that His grace overflows? Because it's in the Bible, right? I'm not making this up. And the scary thing is, in chapter 15, he asks the question, a sec- sorry, verse 15, he asks the question a second time in the same chapter. In other words, he unpacks this, which we're going to do now, and then he asks it again, and he goes, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin? Second time, it's like, the more I press into this grace, the more it provokes this thing in me, like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Are you with me? Sometimes, sometimes I'm, I'm talking like this because we have to sometimes offend our, our brains. It's like we have to offend our minds to get free. Because it's funny, like, I, I watch people, you know, religious spirit, it makes you pull faces, you know? You, you, you can't help it. It's like you get so angry. And then you start to like twitch, you're like, you know, I love it. Listen to this. Paul asks this question and he says, verse 2, certainly not. How can we, the very ones who died to sin, continue to live in it any longer? Or are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We have therefore been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory and power of the Father, we too might walk habitually in newness of life. So this is the gospel. The gospel is, I took everything, you died with me, dead, finished, over. We, I mean, the last two weeks I've, been, I've driven that point home, right? We see Jesus, what happens? You die. You die. You can't, you can't see Him and live. You die. That's the point. And it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, um, a, a difficult thing. It's actually, it's a joy. The road to, to death is a, is a joy. And you go like, that makes no sense. Death is painful. Oh, it's painful if you don't know why you're dying. Because the reality is, I, 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 want to be, I want to die with Christ. Why? Because everything that made me who I am outside of Him was based on worldly experience. And basically, I'm just one massive walking insecurity without Him. Right? Because, you know, you go, oh, I'm introvert, extrovert. No, that's just because you were shaped by life. So you reacted to certain things in different ways. Some people react by going inwards. Other people react by going outwards to protect themselves. Extrovert, introvert. Let's not make that our identity. Let's just die. Die to yourself, and then suddenly Jesus, he says that we're raised with him. If you're, if you're baptized into his death, you're also raised into his new, newness of life. But the beautiful thing is that what that looks like is every day walking habitually, daily, all the time in newness of life. So the grace of God means my life actually looks like becoming newer and newer and cleaner and cleaner and, and just living in that fresh expression of who Jesus is. It's His life. It's His personality. It's His nature. I'm just receiving it. I'm learning to be like Him. I'm loving life. Are you with me? 
For if we've become one with Him in the likeness of His death, we will certainly be one with Him and share fully in the likeness of His resurrection. We know that our old self, which is our human nature without the Holy Spirit, was nailed to the cross with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Here's the thing. People go like, you know, oh, you know, but if you're still sinning, you're a slave to it. And I go like, it's funny that the people who seem to say that are the ones who all they talk about, all they look at, all they point out is sin. And I'm like, you sound like a slave to sin. Because you, you seem to behold it a lot. For the person who has died, thank you, my bro. For the person who has died with Christ has, listen to this. The person who's died with Christ has been freed from the power of sin. <laughs> yes. Now, if we have died with Christ, yeah, no way. <laughs> we believe that we will also live together with Him because we know, that, uh, we know the self-evident truth that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has power over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin. Amplified says, ending its power and paying the sinner's debt once and for all. Can I just say this real, just real quick? Just real quick. I get the sincerity of our hearts when, we, when we're in that place of repentance. When you know, you've made a mistake and you feel the regret and so you come into that place of, Lord, I'm sorry. And I understand why we do this. You know, Lord, please forgive me. But I, I, and, and I think the Lord loves that sincerity of our heart. But here's the thing. We're on the other side of that conversation, you know, we're going, Lord, please forgive me. I feel terrible. Please forgive me. On the other side of that is Jesus going like, what do you mean? Should I get back up on the cross and die again? Or do, should I just show, show you the holes in my hands and, and my side? See, I believe that the, the true expression of repentance and the grace of God is actually thanking Him for His forgiveness and receiving, receiving His forgiveness. See, repentance without receiving Him is just regret. That's the difference between regret and repentance. Repentance is, how do you return? How do you change your way of thinking? We well, have to receive something. See, when we, when, we, when we think we're repenting without receiving from Him, we're actually just living in regret. And then it perpetuates guilt and shame and condemnation because you're just going like, I just seem to, all I seem to be doing is just living in regret. I just keep coming back and saying, sorry, nothing's changing. Well, maybe you need to start receiving. And the life that he lives, he lives to the glory of God in unbroken fellowship with him. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and your relationship to it broken, but alive to God in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and passions. Interesting. It didn't say mine. It said its. Do you know when I read this, and I was, when this chapter set me free, because I read this and it hit me. I was like, it's not me. Most of us are stuck because we think it's me. I willfully did that. Yeah, well, hold on a second. Where, where's your heart postured? See, if, if, you, if what you're receiving is what that sinful nature is speaking to your heart, then you've attached your identity to that sinful nature and you forget who created you. Because if He created me and gave Himself to me and said that I was made in His image and His likeness, then that can't be me. Oh, but we fell. Yeah, but Jesus died. 
and was raised again, and we live in the new covenant. And so anyone who's saved and born again and received the Spirit has received the nature of Jesus. So that can't be me. Are you with me? So now it's like I get stoked when I read this. I go, oh, no way. So don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That's your passions and lusts, buddy. See, here's the thing about desire. Desire is a beautiful, good, godly thing. The reason why God created you with the ability to desire is because you need to desire Him. He, des- he designed you with desire to love Him. So what is addiction? Addiction is just the corruption of that desire. It's the enemy's attempt to take what's rightfully God's and corrupt it and pervert it and take it to himself. See, nobody wants to worship Satan. So he can't get you to worship him. He's ugly. He's ugly. <laughs> nobody wants to worship Satan. You say, what about the Satanists? They don't worship Satan. They're just looking for the power because they can't find it anywhere else. It's time the church that actually rises up in power and suddenly they see the authentic hand of God upon the church. Suddenly it's like, oof, light conquering the darkness. But nobody wants to worship Satan. So what does he do? He can't get you to worship him, so he'll get you to worship other stuff or yourself. So desire, is, is, it's the very root of worship. Nobody wants to come sing, worthy is the lamb, unless you really desire the lamb. Because worthy, it means he's worth something. He's worth my life. That's why I sing worthy. It's my desire. And so now I go, hold on, my desires are not these things. That's the sinful nature's lusts and passions. And I've, when Jesus died, and when I got saved, and I was raised into newness of life in him, I have been cut off and disconnected, dead to the power of sin. Meaning it has no say, no voice in my life. Are you with me? That's good news. Because it just means, oh, oh my goodness, now I have authority to tell sin to shh. And then it says this, verse 13. Do not go on offering members of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God as those alive, raised from the dead to a new life, and your members as instruments of righteousness yielded to God. I love this. Now he's going like, Oh, actually, because you've been disconnected from sin and now you're connected to Him, you actually have authority to stop giving yourself to serve that thing. You have the authority to do that. I just can't help it, man. I just don't have, I, 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 you know, it's like I don't have the ability to choose anymore. I just, that's, that's what addicts believe. And it's because they actually think that this is who they are. And the moment that they realize that's not who I am, Suddenly authority comes and you go, I don't have to offer my body to that anymore. Now I want to offer myself to Him as a weapon of righteousness. And it's not me trying to be righteous. All He said is just offer yourself and I'll do it. Lord, here's my life. Thank you. Pick you up like a sword and use you as a weapon of righteousness. I love this. It says, for sin will no longer be a master over you since you are not under law but under unmerited grace. I love this. You know, I, I, I've, we've had so many conversations over the years around this where it's like, well, if, if, you're, you know, if there's people in your church that are still struggling with sin, then it's still master over them. And I'm like, man, do you hear what's coming out of your mouth? You're glorifying sin with your very words. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It's like, I believe, that that's why you find Jesus. He's, he's just so not intimidated by, by uh, people who are struggling with sin. 
He's just not intimidated by them. He, he, just, he finds himself in these places because he's so not interested in putting any emphasis on their sin. He wants them to know who they are in him and why he came. It's why the, the adulterous woman is found and they want to stone her and they, they throw it at Jesus like, yeah, this is what the law says, blah, blah, blah. And like the law himself, perfect, is standing right there. And he goes, okay, here's my response. You know, he without sin cast the first stone. And here's the, here's the thing. What he was basically saying is, you're all the same. Right? One person had an affair and one person is using religion to make money, let's say. But one is worse than the other. No, it's not. So what's Jesus doing? He's just, he's just revealing the legalism in their hearts. And he's exposing that the emphasis is not on the sin. The emphasis is on who's standing in the room, Jesus himself. So what does he do? He takes condemnation off of her, takes the emphasis off of sin. He says, so who condemns you? And she goes, no one, Lord. And he goes, neither do I. Isn't that interesting? The, the one person who could said, I don't. It just it hits me. I'm like, I'm like Lord, because he did that with us. And I love, I was reading it last night. I'm thinking, he, he took the emphasis completely off of sin, and he put it on himself. And then he says, you can go sin no more now. Go sin no more. Why? Because it's not emphasis on sin that sets you free. It's seeing Jesus and going, oh my word, he's made me like him. Go and sin no more. Oh, this is not who I am. I shared this at the conference. Um, there's a story from Mama Heidi Baker. She, you know, one of her adopted kids uh, in her house was stealing from her. Because these are guys who have come out of brokenness. They just come and all of a sudden they're sons. But they're orphans in their heart. They don't know how to react to this, but they're being called son. And so he begins to steal money from her purse. And she knows that he's stealing him, so she just keeps putting money in every day. Until eventually, he's standing in the bathroom, he looks at the mirror, and he goes, you're not a thief. You're a son. You don't have to steal. You can ask. It hits him. It was like sonship. Just, and what I love about Mama Heidi is what she was doing is she was taking the emphasis off of the sin and showing him, you're a son. This would, can you feel the pleasure of the Lord? This is what he does with us. And we're going, like, beating ourselves up or whatever and thinking, like, oh, he's going to smack me. Please forgive me. Now I'll do it again tomorrow. Please forgive me. And he's going, like, what do you mean? Receive. When that son, when Mama Hadi's son learned to receive, he came into sonship. I don't have to steal. I don't have to feel that way. I can just come and ask. Oh, I love you, Jesus. <laughs> Listen to this. <laughs> Again, verse, chapter, uh, verse 15. What then are we to conclude? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. It's like, this is just wild. This is ridiculous. Certainly not. Do you not know that when you continually offer yourselves to someone to do his will, you're the slaves of the one whom you obey, either slaves of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thank God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient with all your heart to the standard of teaching in which you were instructed and to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become the slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in familiar human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you presented your bodily members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to further lawlessness. Hello, are you seeing this? 
You gave yourself, you emphasized sin, and what did it produce? Lawlessness that leads to lawlessness that leads to lawlessness. It's just you perpetuate the same cycle of sin over and over again. You just beat yourself up. It's the worst thing to have one foot uh, in the Lord and one foot in the world. Because <laughs> you know just enough to feel guilty about what you did wrong, but you're doing enough wrong to, to feel like you don't deserve to be there, right? You're just you're stuck in that place. It's Romans 7. But it's interesting. He talks about obedience. I want to I set you free because sometimes we read this and we go, oh, there it is. There's the catch. I don't know if I'm obedient. Here's the beautiful thing. I don't know how dead people can obey. So you died. Everything died. You were raised into Christ, and then He put His Spirit in you, which is literally His very essence, His nature, and His being. He put it inside of you. Why did Jesus, when He came to the earth. Why did he have to live a life of obedience? What was he proving? Did he need to prove that he needed to be obedient to himself? Why did he have to be obedient? Why did he model obedience? I'll tell you why. For us. Because what he modeled and lived on the earth was a demonstration of what we were to receive, meaning this. Obedience is received first. Because you can go like, oh, Connor, that's great news, and I just heard everything. But there's the catch. I don't know if I can obey every day. And he's going, that's not the point. The point is receive. When you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. Guess what you receive? The nature of Jesus. Guess what's in the nature of Jesus? Perfect obedience. So what leads you to obey Him, Jesus? And if you have a problem with that, then I, I, I want to just encourage you and say, you probably find there's an area of your perspective of the gospel that's very self-centered. Because sometimes the control freak in us wants to go like, but I want to be able to. And it's like, oh, just let it go. When you let this stuff go, suddenly you go like, oh, Lord. You know how, honestly, how this sets me free? I, when, when we talk the gospel like this, you feel the freedom in the room. You feel like, oh, Lord. Because you just go like, Lord, it's just you. I just have to do one thing, just receive. Because when I receive, I can truly give. And my giving is going to come from what He gave me, not from myself. That's worthless. But He, He is so worthy. Are you with me? And so, just jump down to... Uh, Chapter 20, uh, sorry, I keep saying chapter, verse 22. But now since you've been set free from sin and have become willing slaves to God, you have your benefit resulting in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God <laughs> is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Free gift, free gift, free gift. You've got to say that a couple times until it hits your brain. Free gift, gift. <laughs> it's like we read that, but we don't seem to catch it. It's like, it's mine. He gave it to me. It's a joy. And then, you know, people will throw, okay, well, let's look at Romans 7. You know, what about when Paul says, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do want to do, and wretched man that I am. What is Paul talking about? Someone who's living under legalism. Somebody who has mixed grace and legalism together. <laughs> Listen, Romans 7 is what happens when we preach those two things mixed together, grace and law. Suddenly you're like, I'm not doing the things that I want to do, and I'm, I'm doing the things that I don't want to do, and I just feel terrible. And I just live in guilt, shame, and condemnation. And he goes, wretched man that I am, who will save me? Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus. And then, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now. Everybody say now. now. I don't know if you got it. Say now. now. 
I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your struggle is. But now, right now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but I had to take that verse for years and just slap it against my head. Because I, I would read it and I'm just guilty. And I'm, There's no condemnation, but I'm guilty. But there's no condemnation, but I'm guilty. Until I realized, wow, you are so self-absorbed. You've made this thing all about you. That that can only be true if it's, if it's your expression of it. If you feel like you've met the mark. <laughs> no, it's Jesus. And he said, now. I don't know what it is, what you're going through, but right now, even if it's your deepest, darkest, most horrible, ugly moment that will ever happen in your life, now he looks at you and he says, I see my son. And you go, but what about the law? Why is the law there then? Well, I'll tell you, if you study the whole Bible, most of us haven't even read most of it. Let's go read the whole thing and realize the storyline of God is that he never wanted to put law on man. But the Israelites go and t- basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but they basically say to Moses, yeah, go and find out what God wants. Come back with that and we'll, we'll sort it out. Like, go, go find out what, what, what's holy. Tell, tell God, just show us what's holy and we'll sort it out. And so he comes back with ten commandments and suddenly it's like, oh, shucks. And then, by the way, it, it's more than 10 commandments. It's also 613 laws. And you miss one, you miss all of them. It's like the Lord goes like, okay, here. And the man's like, oh, oh. Yeah. But this is the thing. Paul writes about this multiple times, that the law actually came to show us our need for a Savior. That God gave us the law to show us that I never made you to do this in your own strength. When I created you in the garden, I didn't create you to do anything in and of yourself. I created you to eat from the tree of life. Who's the tree of life? Jesus. Right from the garden, my dad preaches this all the time. I love it. There's two trees, and basically, if I could sum it up like this, it's two things. The all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ and man's attempt at self-sufficiency. That's it. My attempt, the fullness of Jesus. And we chose our own attempt, and we do this every day. Watchman, he says it so beautifully. He says, God's not looking for your attempt at Christ-likeness. He's looking for His Christ in you. That's totally different. It's like God's not looking for me to try and be like Jesus. He's looking for me to receive Jesus so that He can find His Jesus in me. That's what we were made for. And you go, but then we're just going to be a bunch of Jesus robots that all look the same. No, He made you uniquely so that the expression, the marks, and the nature of Jesus would come out of you in such a unique and beautiful way that He could look at all of us and go, family. You see, when, when we talk like this and we share the gospel, what happens is your heart is open to receive and now you realize, I can come in. See, I've been talking in the last couple of weeks about the second coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus. And it should provoke a groan in our lives, a crying out for His second coming. And if you, ah, man, I want to talk about that, but I don't have the time. So go back and listen to the last two Sundays. But that groan, here's the thing. Sometimes if it's the strain of devotion, the groan is coming from a place of lack. The groan can come from that place of like, I don't have you and I need you and where are you? And there's, there's times for that when you're not saved, you know. That's that groan. That's the strain. The strain is when I don't have Him. I need to know Him. When people get saved, you hear that groan? We heard it on the weekend. There's some people who give their life to Jesus and you hear the, oh, the ache. It's like, it's like I need what, what, what Jesus is, is presenting to me and then the Father comes in and the groan changes. 
What do I mean? I mean that the groan that I'm talking about, that crying out for the return of Jesus, actually comes from a place of fullness. It comes from a place of satisfaction in Him. It comes from a place of being lovesick. There's a lovesick groan, and there's a frustrated groan. And one is the straining of devotion, and the other one is the grace to be devoted to Him. And so when we sing, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, and we are ready for the return of our King, it's not coming from a place of like, how long is this going to take? (laughs) That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, I am so in love with you, Jesus. This physical body is hindering the expressions that want to come out of my life. I need you. I just want to be with you for all of eternity and I can't wait for what's ahead and I'm so in love with you because your spirit is inside of me and I'm overflowing. That's a different kind of groan. And what's so beautiful is that when we're in this place, you can come into His glory. I've just been realizing more and more there's been this ache in my heart for my own life and for, this, for us as a community and for the church as a whole where we're coming into these environments and I feel the pull and the invitation and the ache of the Lord to come into more, to come into His glory. There is a greater glory that's coming on the church like we've never seen before. It's the promise. We talk about revival. What are we talking about? The glory of God. It's when God's face is present and manifest in the room. And we go, oh, Lord, I want that. But I realize we come to these places because we're not rooted and grounded and established in the faith, in the, the true and pure message of the gospel of grace. It's because we're not in that place that we don't know how to receive. So I know, I know how to tell Him He's awesome. I just don't know how to come into His awesomeness. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I know how to tell you that you're the most incredible, beautiful you know, man that ever lived. But when you want to get real close with me, I'm ashamed. And God's going like, that is not what I paid a price for. I paid a price for you to come in and be with me. Because for all of eternity, we're going to be one in perfect oneness and union and communion with Him. Do you know, I don't know if you understand this, but the same way that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one with each other, that's where He's put us. I don't don't even, that, uh, no way. So I go, hold on a second, Jesus. You're saying that I get to be one with you in the same way that you're one with the Father and one with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I get to be one with you in the same way that you're one with Jesus and the Father. Father, I'm one with you in the same way that you're one with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I like this. Oh, I like this place of oneness. (laughs) Oh, it's beautiful. And then we go, we want to see oneness in the church. I think that's where we find oneness. When we're one with the same bridegroom. You with me? All right. Do you want to stand? So I just, I want to just encourage you with this. I feel like if you'll take just what I said today and just be provoked to go and seek Him. Just, just take this. Go take Romans 6. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, go read them and just be with Jesus and go, Lord, you made a way. I can be with you. I can come in. There's no hindrances. The only hindrance is when I want to take my junk and wave it at the Lord. <laughs> and he's saying, can you, can you move the junk? I just want to see your face. I love you. Let's go face to face. See, when you experience this, you can receive his glory. You can receive his nature. You can receive who he is. 
And so everything that we do as a community has to be on this foundation, has to be from this place, because it starts to stir hunger in your heart, because suddenly you actually believe it's possible. So just lift your hands. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. I just feel the pleasure of the Lord over your people, over this house. Lord, I know there's, there's so many that are going to walk out of this room free today. Not because somebody laid hands on them, but because they realized that you did it. You made a way. The finished work of Jesus is now touching our hearts and lives. And we realize this is the life. This is the life we're called to live. So Father, thank you. Just impart the grace of God into every heart and mind. Thank you for open hearts to receive, Lord, that now we have a boldness to encounter you, to know you, to walk in your glory. It's the kindness of the Father that leads to repentance. Maybe you're here and you go, Lord, I'm just so tired of the same struggles. I need you to change those things. And I'm saying to you today, He's done it. And if you look at Him, watch what happens. How do you get free from the stuff? Stop looking at the stuff and look at Jesus. Just look at Him. He's so beautiful. He's so wonderful. He loves you so much. He's wooing you to come face to face, heart to heart. You know, we look at Him and we say, Jesus, you're beautiful. But what you don't realize is that He's looking at you and He's saying, you're so beautiful. My bride. See, there's no stains on your garments because they've been dipped in the blood. Revelation speaks about this, that our robes have been dipped in the blood of Jesus. We've been prepared as a bride because we've been wrapped in fine linen. We've been given permission to wear His robes. You look like Jesus. Now you can live like Him. So I just release grace, 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 grace. No more condemnation, no more guilt, no more shame. Father, thank you. Right now, I silence those weapons of hell. The Father never, ever, ever ministers those three things. They're from the devil. Guilt, shame, and condemnation are never in the Father's heart. So thank you, God. Right now, I just break them off of every thought that, that's trying to lie and deceive us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that our hearts are free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're free. You're free. You're free. You're free. Free to love Him. Free to see Him. Free to worship. Free to come into His glory. He loves you. I don't know if you feel this, but it's like when we come into this place, my soul, my, my spirit begins to ache and long. I just want to drink deep. It's like I feel the liquid love of God pouring over us. And suddenly you just go like, Lord, I don't want to be anywhere else. I just want to be in your presence. I just want to have you. I just want, I want to be touched by you. See, Jesus doesn't just want to be looked at. He wants to be touched. He wants to touch you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to be one. So, Lord, take us out of our heads into our spirit, man, and take us right in to that beautiful place with you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus.